Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 80. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, I want to remind you that if you like this podcast, please share it around with your friends on social media. And you can follow me on social media. You can go to Facebook and like me there, at Brian McClanahan. You can go to Twitter. You can follow me there, at Brian McClanahan. You can also like my YouTube page. So uh, make sure you go on out there and do those things. Also, go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email, and I'll give you a couple of free things, a free ebook and a free audiobook, uh, Forgotten Founders in American History. So go on out there and do those things. And, of course, always share this podcast with your friends. Uh, share the word, spread it around. That's where we're going to help expand the reach of the podcast and get more listeners and also uh, get more cool people like yourselves out there listening to the show. So I also want to uh, say that I'll be on vacation next week. So uh, it'll be May 23rd. Next time I'll be back on the show. Uh, So this is the last podcast for a week, but I will be back and I'll be glad to be back. Got to take a little break uh, from a whole bunch of things. So uh, anyways, we're, we'll, we'll be back on May 23rd after this podcast. Uh, so what I want to do today, it's actually a user-generated uh, podcast. It's uh, going to discuss the idea of the separation of church and state and where that comes from. And in fact, this is a great topic because one of the little jewels about the book, the forthcoming book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, is that half the book is on Hamilton. We're going to market it as a Hamilton book, and it is. I mean, most of the book, uh, the majority of the book focuses on Hamilton, But the second half of the book focuses on John Marshall, Joseph Story, and Hugo Black. And the chapter on Hugo Black talks about this idea of incorporation. And uh, one of the main main thrusts of incorporation when it took place uh, was this idea of church and state. And Hugo Black was very interested in using the federal court system to eliminate any type of government involvement in religion. Now, uh, that was not how the First Amendment was designed to be used. Uh, I think it's very clear from the historical record that that wasn't the case. And, uh, and Black was distorting history when he was um, issuing his opinions in several particular uh, important Supreme Court decisions. And, of course, Black being... Uh, a member of the Ku Klux Klan, anti-Catholic, that had a lot to do with the fact that he wanted to ensure that the government would stay out of religion. Now, when you look at the First Amendment and the design of the Bill of Rights, and I've already talked about this in the podcast entitled Incorporation. I've gone into great detail about incorporation, what the Bill of Rights was designed to do, and what it actually does today. So you have original intent of the Bill of Rights, and then you have the application of the Bill of Rights today. The Bill of Rights was not designed to apply to the states. 
It was not intended to be enforced against the states. Uh, it was intended to be a mechanism to control the general government. But just because we had this First Amendment, which said Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, uh, that didn't mean that religion was going to be out of public discourse entirely, that religion was going to be removed from government. In fact, that's a perversion of what the founding generation thought. Now, certainly, what Hugo Black did in his distorted interpretation of history, he viewed Jefferson and Madison as these kind of white knights riding in on a horse and saving the day uh, because he looked at their opinion of religion and then used that, wormed that into uh, the, his interpretation of the First Amendment and then said the First Amendment, because of what Madison and Jefferson thought, applies to the states in this particular way. So it's going to be enforced against the states. But that's entirely wrong. Now, of course, Jefferson and Madison were interested in um, having religion out of the public sphere. At least what they didn't want was the states requiring people to tithe to a church. They didn't want uh, laws prohibiting certain people from being exercised free re- uh, their, their religion. So, for example, um, you had had situations in the colonial period where you would uh, see that uh, you know Baptists were hung, Quakers are run out of town, uh, particularly in New England. This was pretty vicious stuff. Uh, and, of course, all of the uh, hysteria over witches in, in Massachusetts was primarily a way to enforce uh, conformity in religion, but also to root out dissenters. And this had been going on in Europe since we had the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. So you had a, a climate of hostility towards various religious sects in um, in European history, beginning in uh, in the 1500s, and then moving forward even into the 18th century, 1700s, you still had some of this going on. So what Jefferson and Madison were concerned with is that people were not able to exercise their right of conscience, their freedom of conscience, the way that they should, even in the states. This is why Jefferson and Madison both uh, worked in the state legislature of Virginia, to ensure there was a bill of religious liberty there. And in fact, Jefferson considered that one of his proudest moments, that he was able to ensure that people had freedom of conscience in Virginia, that there was no state-established church in Virginia. In fact, the Anglican church was disestablished after the American War for Independence. So uh, in Virginia, it was disestablished. And that happened you know, generally uh, all over the new states, uh, though you still had, even in, in 1788, when the Constitution was ratified, there were still three states in New England that had state-established churches. So it, even at the time the Bill of Rights was ratified, you had state-established churches in New England. So uh, it, what, the Bill of Rights, particularly the First Amendment, was not designed to knock down state laws in regard to religion. It was to ensure that the federal government, the general government, did not pass any legislation establishing. When they say establish religion, what they're talking about there is establishing a church of the United States, like you would have in Great Britain. You had the Church of England. And uh, they didn't want that in the U.S. They didn't want some uh, church that uh, that Americans would be required to join and then tithe to. 
They wanted to ensure that uh, the general government stayed out of that particular sphere of American society. Now, what they also recognized is that, you know, you had a, a prayer before every meeting of Congress. Uh, you had uh, religion invoked frequently in public discourse. They weren't uh, sitting in a situation where they said, you know, that should be uh, taken out. All schools uh, still had religion in school. And that was the way in public schools up until the 20th century. What you find this very interesting, in fact, when you get to the Know Nothing movement of the uh, 1840s and 50s in America, uh, they actually, the, the American Party uh, had a candidate for president in 1852. And uh, they, they nominated Millard Fillmore, uh, uh, and, and, um, and they, they wanted, of course, former President Millard Fillmore. What they wanted to do, the Know Nothing Party, of course, was make sure that uh, one of their aims was to make sure that public schools only had daily Bible readings from Protestant Bibles. Now, when you say that at, at first, you say you don't want, only wanted to have daily Bible readings from Protestant Bibles. When I, when I give this uh, talk in, in my classes, uh, the students often say, well, I mean, that's kind of strange. You're saying that uh, you know, they can only have uh, daily Bible readings from, from Protestant Bibles. Uh, you know, so th they're saying that only Protestants, uh, you know, you can only read Protestant Bible. But what they miss is that there are daily Bible readings in public schools in the 1850s. And that was the case uh, all the way up through the 1960s in America. Uh, so if the founding generation and the subsequent generations believe that somehow the First Amendment applied to schools and other things, uh, it, they never showed it. In fact, they, they made it very clear that uh, this, this First Amendment did not apply to the states. So let's get into this idea of where this, this notion of separation and church, of church and state, quote-unquote, came from. And it actually came from a letter from the Danbury Baptist to, to Thomas Jefferson uh, in 1801. And uh, it's interesting, they actually admit uh, in this letter that Jefferson had no control over this issue, and not only that, that the states had complete control over the idea of religion in America. So, this is what they said. Sir, quote, this is from the letter. Sir, we are sensible that the President of the United States is not the national legislator. Well, that's pretty unique. Nowadays, we think the President of the United States is the national legislator, that he can just rule by decree, that he can just say, I decree this, and it happens. But that's not the case here. The Danbury Baptists are openly admitting that's not the job of the President of the United States. It's also interesting, the the punctuation in this letter, they, they did not put united in, they did not make it capitalized. So president of the United States, you is lowercase. And also sensible that the national government cannot destroy the laws of each state. That's amazing. So they're already admitting the president has no control over this issue. And not only that, the Congress can't destroy the laws of the states. And of course, they're writing from Connecticut where you had a state-established church. And they go on, But our hopes are strong that the sentiments of our beloved president, which had said a 
which have had such genial effect already, like the radiant beams of the sun, will shine and prevail through all these states and all the world to a hierarchy and tyranny be destroyed from the earth. So they were hoping that Jefferson's opinion on religion would eventually influence the states, would eventually influence the states to have some type of legislation restricting uh, these state-established churches. The Banbury Baptists also said in the preceding paragraph, Our sentiments are uniformly on the side of religious liberty, that religion is at all times and places a matter between God and individuals, that no man ought to suffer in name, person, or effects on account of his religious opinions, that the legitimate power of civil government extends no further than to punish the man who works ill to his neighbor. But, sir, our constitution of government is not specific. Our ancient charter, together with the laws made coincident therewith, were adopted as the basis of our government at the time of our revolution, and they're talking about the Constitution of Connecticut, and such had been our laws and usages, and such still are, that religion is considered as the first object of legislation. And therefore, religious privileges we enjoy, as a minor part of the state we enjoy as favors granted, and not as inalienable rights. So he's rec- the Danbury Baptists are recognizing that the laws of Connecticut were made at the time of the Revolution, and they were based on the ancient charter of Connecticut. They're looking at the state constitution, which came from the colonial charters. So that's what the Danbury Baptists said. Jefferson responded uh, In 1802, he said, quote, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. So, Jefferson responded by saying, yeah, I agree with you. I agree that, um, uh, you know, th- this is, we should have no control over over." freedom of conscience that the the government should. And uh, he did say, uh, he mentioned the First Amendment there. And he said that built a a wall of separation between church and state. No establishment of a church for the general government. Jefferson didn't say uh, that this applied to the states. He's just saying, I think that this this amendment, I have sovereign reverence that this amendment exists. That their legislature, the whole American people, he was talking about the, the U.S. Congress there, but it has no control over the states. 
And he said, I'll see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights. So he's not saying the general government here can go out and do anything about this, not in Connecticut. He's hoping that that sentiment, the progress of that sentiment, would eventually spread all over the United States. The progress of those sentiments, not that the Congress is going to go out and start legislating for this way, and that somehow this applies to the states. But of course, that's not what Hugo Black said. That's not what Hugo Black said about this particular issue. Hugo Black decided that somehow the First Amendment applies to the states. Black said this, quote, A large proportion of the early settlers of this country came here from Europe to escape the bondage of laws which compelled them to support and attend government-favored churches. Of course, that may have been true for Quakers of Pennsylvania, Pilgrims of Massachusetts, uh, but the Orthodox Anglicans who dominated Virginia and the Carolinas um, weren't coming here to escape uh, you know, some type of oppressive religion. Neither were the Puritans. They came here to set up their own church, and they did so. They weren't being persecuted. And, of course, as I already mentioned, the Virginia religious statute only applied to Virginia. So, Black, when he issued his most famous opinion or decision in Engel v. Vitale of 1962, he was distorting American history, number one, and number two, the intent of the First Amendment. He said, quote, We think that by using its public school system to encourage recitation of the Regent's Prayer, the state of New York has adopted a practice wholly inconsistent with the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Wait a second. The Danbury Baptists recognized in 1801 that the state of Connecticut had complete control of this issue. What Black is saying here is that this New York law is unconstitutional because of the U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment. This is a fairy tale. He said, quote, and there were men of this same faith in the power of prayer who led the fight for adoption of our Constitution and also for our Bill of Rights with the very guarantees of religious freedom that forbid the sort of government activity which New York has attempted here. But that's not true. It had nothing to do with the state of New York or the state of Connecticut or the state of South Carolina. Quote, these men knew that the First Amendment, which tried to put an end to government control of religion and of prayer, was not written to destroy either. They knew rather that it was written to quiet well-justified fears, which nearly all of them felt arising out of an awareness that governments of the past had shackled men's tongues to make them speak only the religious thoughts that government wanted them to speak, to pray only to the God that government wanted them to pray to. It is neither sacrilegious nor anti-religious to say that we, that each separate government in this country should stay out of the business of writing or sanctioning official prayer and leaving that purely religious function of the people themselves and to those the people choose to look to for religious guidance. So, uh, 
he's saying that this First Amendment somehow applies to the states. The Danbury Baptists themselves said it did not apply to the states. And Jefferson said, look, I, I love the First Amendment. It's a great amendment, but you know what? Hopefully just the sentiments of that amendment will eventually reach the people of the states. He didn't say the national legislature, meaning the Congress, could do anything about it. And certainly Jefferson wouldn't have said the Supreme Court could have done anything like this. In fact, the whole idea that the Supreme Court could knock down a state law would have rendered the Constitution null and void going through ratification. John Marshall himself said the U.S. Supreme Court would not do that. This was an issue, a negative over state law, where John Rutledge of South Carolina said that alone ought to damn the Constitution, that somehow the general government would have a negative over state law. And this is exactly what Hugo Black is doing here. He's distorting the intent of the First Amendment. He's crafting an, an interpretation or, of, of the First Amendment in this idea of separation of church and state out of thin air. He just made this up. And of course, by making it up, he changes the entire course of American history from 1962 forward. He said that, I mean, listen to what Black did say in that. He said that uh, government in control of religion and of prayer was not written to destroy either. It was not written to destroy religion, but this is exactly what's happened. So this whole idea that somehow even offering a moment of silence before any school activity is, is, uh, you know, can be challenged in court because that's a recognition of prayer in a public sphere. This is not what the founding generation thought of when they had drafted the First Amendment, ratified the First Amendment. This is not what Jefferson was talking about in 1802 in his letter back to the Danbury Baptists. And the Danbury Baptists themselves, if you look at the two things together, recognized that Connecticut, the laws of Connecticut, could not be changed by the president or the Congress. And Jefferson said, yeah, I, I think the First Amendment is great, but I really can't do anything about it. All we can hope is that what we think, what you think, what I think will eventually influence these states, and they'll come to a great moment of clarity, and they will knock down these laws of these established churches in Connecticut uh, and elsewhere in New England. Because we had already done that in Virginia. The Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom only applied to Virginia. If Jefferson somehow believed, if Jefferson somehow believed that the First Amendment applied to the states, he would have said so. And he never did. He never said that. And none of the Bill of Rights were to be applicable to the states only to the general government. Now, that's not how we view them today. In fact, when people run around and say, I have a amendment right to do this, 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 or this, uh, in my state government, the state government cannot infringe, infringe on that right. Well, that's completely false. Not according to the Bill of Rights as ratified. This is how the Supreme Court's interpreted it. But that's not how it was intended to be interpreted. And again, I've, I've done a whole podcast on incorporation, and this issue is covered in my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America in the chapter on Hugo Black. So I don't want to steal all my thunder there, 
But this was a good question from a user. You know, can you go through this? Can you explain how this thing has been distorted over time? How this has happened? How we've gotten to a point where we believe somehow that Jefferson's musings on the First Amendment to a letter and a letter to the Danbury Baptist somehow applies, made that applicable to the to the U.S. government. I mean, this is a private letter, and the Danbury Baptists again themselves had said that the president was not chief legislator, even though we think he is today, and that the states were supreme in this in this sphere, even though we don't think that today. According to the Bill of Rights, the, the First Amendment as ratified and the Constitution as ratified, the states could have anything they wanted. They could have, as long as it didn't violate the state constitutions, they could have a religious test for office and state if they wanted to. They could have a state-established church. They could make sure they could mandate that people tithe a certain amount to churches. If if the Bill of Rights was interpreted the way it should be interpreted, that could be the case. Now, would Jefferson have supported that? Absolutely not. It's clear because he he wanted to make sure that in Virginia this didn't happen. But the general government could do nothing about it in Connecticut or Massachusetts or South Carolina or North Carolina or Pennsylvania or New York. They could do nothing about it. So this this, uh, decision, 1962 decision written by Hugo Black, is a distortion of the meaning of the First Amendment. It's a distortion of the intent of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. And, of course, it's been taken completely out of context ever since to justify federal involvement or actually inaction or state restrictions on religion in the public sphere. And so it's highly, Hugo Black is highly problematic for... Uh, this particular issue. And it's unfortunate because now everyone, ha- I mean, what's happened is you, you've had a small faction of the American population control the, the majority. I mean, most Americans still are religious people uh, in one way or another. And so you've had a small faction of people who are not, who are able to bully and coerce others through the legal system. And that was never intended by the First Amendment or the, uh, or the original intent of the Bill of Rights. Incorporation was not, was not the intent of the framers of the Bill of Rights or the ratifiers of the Bill of Rights or the founding generation at all. I mean, Madison wanted to have an incorporation amendment where the First Amendment would have applied to the states, but it was rejected outright. And, of course, uh, you know, John Marshall, in a moment of clarity, essentially said, you know, the Bill of Rights don't apply to the states. They apply to the general government only. So this is how the founding generation interpreted it. It's, and it's unfortunate that a 20th century lawyer, a Klan member, Hugo Black, was able to uh, weasel his way into uh, making the idea that somehow the First Amendment was incorporated against the states um, the, the, uh, of course, what he's doing there is using the 14th Amendment to, to incorporate the First Amendment against the states. Um, this, this is unfortunate that this has actually happened. So we need to change the, the perspective, the opinion on this, and I think if we can do that, uh, perhaps you know, lawyers and judges need to, need to recognize this, and perhaps the entire structure of American law could change. I don't have a lot of hope. Uh, but this is why something like how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America 
or uh, Kevin Gutzman and Tom Woods' Who Killed the Constitution. These books are important for that particular reason. Or Kevin Gutzman's The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Constitution. He goes through incorporation in that. Also in Who Killed the Constitution. Of course, I do that in uh, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America when I have my chapter on Hugo Black. So, I hope you enjoyed this particular episode. Remember, I won't be here next week. I will be back on May 23rd. I'll see you then.